This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Helping families grow is what Doret Nur Hassan does best. As a board-certified OBGYN and fertility specialist, she pours her energy and her care into educating, encouraging, advising, and supporting people who want to bring a new life into the world. But ironically, despite the fact that she was a noted fertility expert, she was not destined for an easy pregnancy herself. In this part of today's show, Dorit Norhassan shares her own life story with us from her childhood in Antigua to her professional success as a doctor in the United States. She's going to be open and honest with us about her personal struggles with conceiving and the many options she tried before successfully bringing her son into the world via surrogacy. She offers the unique perspective of someone who's been on both sides of the exam table and sheds a much-needed light on an often silent struggle a struggle that approximately one in eight women experience in their lifetime. Today's show is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union, which is proud to serve the armed forces, veterans, and their families. And if you're a member of the armed forces of the Department of Defense, they'd be proud to serve you too. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about a fertility doctor's fight for motherhood when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Doret Noor Hassan, who's the author of Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. Doret, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for, for being on the show. Um, want to have you talk a little bit about, well, I, let, let's, let's set the stage a little bit. So you're a fertility doctor, as in, in kind of, that's pretty obvious from the title. But you ran into your own issues. Was that something you were prepared for? No, actually. Um, so uh, um, I went into the field of infertility, not not even thinking that someday I may use the tools in my uh, tool bag to help myself. Um, I uh, um, so I was I was a little bit of background about myself. Um, I was born in Guyana in South America, and I grew up in the United States Virgin Islands. Um, I went to medical school in Boston, and uh, um, really liked going to school there. Um, but being a being someone from the Caribbean, it's very cold up there when you're used to wearing flip flops and tank tops. <laughs> and so yeah. um, I did residency in Houston, um, and it's during my residency program. Um, that I wrote, I did a residency in obstetrics and gynecology, and during that program, they make you rotate through 
the various departments of OBGYN, including um, reproductive endocrinology and infertility, um, which is the field of uh, infertility. And that's when I found my calling in life and wanted to pursue medicine in that specific field. Um, and so I uh, did fellowship in New Jersey and then stayed in private practice up there for another three years and then have been in private practice in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the last seven and a half years. Um, and so um, I went into the field of reproductive endocrinology and infertility um, to be able to help others, and it's it's a field of medicine that really excites me. It's um, There's a lot of technology. Um, it's changing ever so quickly, and it's sometimes we cannot keep up with how quickly the technology is changing. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, I essentially um, was a career woman who, um, you know, got to her late 30s and uh, really wanted to be a mother. And um, and uh, um, I uh, decided to pursue fertility treatments on uh, on my own. Um, I did not have a husband at that time. Um, and... Uh, um, uh, I have a heart defect that was repaired many years ago, and I didn't even think it, that was when I was much, much younger, and I didn't even think that, you know, wasn't thinking about children, certainly, at that point in my life. And uh, so um, I knew at that point in my late 30s that I would have to do surrogacy. Um, so I attempted uh, oh. surrogacy with in vitro using my eggs um, and donor sperm, um, and then uh, um, a surrogate carrying the, the pregnancy. And I attempted that a couple of times, and um, both transfers were negative. Um, so we transferred two embryos the first time and then one embryo the second time, and none of them resulted in a pregnancy. Hmm. And, um, you know, and very much being a woman in my late 30s at that point, it certainly could have been that my eggs were not great. And um, uh, I had frozen a batch of eggs prior to that, but I didn't use those that batch of eggs um, because those were just frozen maybe a year prior, so I didn't expect those would be helpful either. Um, after the second pregnancy test, it's very interesting, after a second pregnancy test, um, that pregnancy test was negative on a Friday, and uh, on a Saturday um, I had a couple of social events to go to, and um, I went to a Halloween party that Saturday night, and um, I met my husband that night. Um, <laughs> uh, um, oh, nice. And, yeah, and so it's interesting how... Uh, uh, life just, you know, has all these turns and twists. Yeah. So maybe I've, I was meant to have a child with my, my, my current husband. Um, well, let, let me let me stop you for just a second go back because I'm curious about these these two unsuccessful pregnancies with the, with the surrogate. Was that the same surrogate or a different person? Same surrogate, same surrogate. Um, so same surrogate, uh, um, and the embryos all came from one batch of uh, eggs. Um, so I did one egg retrieval mm-hmm. at that time. And then I had okay. done... I had frozen eggs prior to that too, um, but that, that those I didn't touch. I just kind of left those, um, and so um, so. I'm sorry, you have another question. No, I... that was it. I was just curious about whether it was the same surrogate. I, I have not had that uh, much deep knowledge into the surrogacy process. I just was wondering if you if you had a negative uh, experience with one surrogate, if you go to someplace else, or, or if you, if, if this is a, a surrogate who has already had several babies already, so you know that she's in good working order. Um, you know, just curious about that. Yeah. So, uh, to become a surrogate, um, you, um, 
should have already have had children of your own already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, proven that you can take it, um, a pregnancy all the way to delivery. Uh, and um, we did ours through an agency, so many agencies will, will, you know, I mean, it's not absolutely required, but will really suggest that, you know, you're truly done with your own uh, childbearing before you, you know, decide to become a surrogate for someone mm-hmm. else. Sure. Um, um, so, uh, um, and uh, so going back to the original story, I, I met my husband, and we got married I, uh, eight months after we met. It was, you know, when you're much older, you kind of know when it's the right person, and um, that we also needed help conceiving. And so, so then he joined me on this journey, um, and uh, we did several more egg retrievals. Um, I thought the frozen eggs that I had a year prior to meeting him, and um, so after about after I've been through uh, now a total of five egg retrievals, um, we finally get one good embryo. And um, you know, wh- one of the lessons I learned with going through the with the first surrogate is you know doing genetic testing of the embryo. So in addition to having an embryo that looks good under the microscope, has good quality cells, is graded well under the microscope, you also want an embryo that's uh, euploid or not aneuploid. So euploid embryos have the correct number of chromosomes and are more likely to result in a pregnancy. Dorette, I need you to ask you to, to ask you to speak up a little bit. It's hard to hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. So one of the um, thing, one of the testing that I did not do with the first surrogate was what's called pre-implantation genetic testing, and that is uh, testing the embryos to see if they're euploid or aneuploid. The euploid embryos have the correct number of chromosomes or gene regions and therefore more likely to result in a pregnancy. And aneuploid uh, embryos have the incorrect number of chromosomes or gene regions and therefore less likely to result Mm -hmm. in a pregnancy. Um, So I did not do that testing with my first uh, surrogate. So this time, you know, uh, uh, my husband and I decided we were going to do, we were just going to do cycles until we got a euploid embryo. So it took us several cycles before we finally got a euploid embryo. So it was my my fifth egg retrieval that yielded one good embryo, which turned out to be a euploid embryo, um, that we then decided to start the looking for a surrogate again. So, um, you know, I had ended my contract with my previous surrogate because I you know, was going to take a break and I wasn't even sure if I was going to do this again. Um, and then with my husband, we decided we were just going to wait until we got a good embryo because there's, you know, at least I felt from my first, previous experiences that, you know, there was, I needed to have good embryos for sure before I uh, sure. Um, yeah. had them transferred to someone else. Um, so we started this journey um, to find a um, another surrogate. Um, and um, you could find a surrogate through an agency. There are multiple agencies out there. Um, there are also many people that are doing this independently without an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we did ours through the agency. Um, you know, we felt that having a third party um, was helpful. Um, and, you know, we only had one good embryo, so we had one shot at this. And right. um, we were very, very selective of who would be our surrogate um, because once we transfer this embryo, that's it, we would be done. Um, and, you know, also surrogates can 
uh, um, be picky also as to who they carry for. Um, really? Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, I so, wouldn't have thought. Um, so it has to be a perfect match. Um, and uh, I think we interviewed probably about a dozen women over many months um, before we finally um, met the person who we thought was right for us. Um, and uh, so um, she came in for um, a visit to the doctor and uh, was, um, you know, p- passed medically, um, meaning you know they thought she would be a good surrogate. Um, and as you go through this process, there's legal and psychological clearance, so legal paperwork that kind of delineates who the parents are um, from the very beginning. And then psychological screening is just to make sure everyone's comfortable with the surrogacy, um, so making sure that we're comfortable and then making sure her and also her husband is also comfortable with the entire process. Right. So. Dorette, hold, hold on just a second. We've got to take a quick break here. Talking with Dorette Nurhassan, who's the author of Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep getting Dorette's story and find out more about the whole process of, of surrogacy and uh, other issues that that uh, fertility doctors face. I'm Armin Brat. You're listening to Positive Parenting. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn to spot a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. I'm Paul George. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brad. If you're just joining us, talking with Dorette Nurhassan, who's the author of Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. And you were just talking about uh, finding a surrogate, finally finding the, the right surrogate after going through a variety of different people that you interviewed. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about the, the cost involved in this. I mean, you, you had with uh, the two failed pregnancies that you that you mentioned, or not, I shouldn't say failed pregnancies, but unsuccessful pregnancies, uh, previously, before you met your husband, and I guess it's, in retrospect, it's kind of good that they didn't work out because it would be better to have it with your husband. But what what do you pay for these kinds of things, and does insurance cover it? Um, it's an expensive process. So um, many insurances now cover um, some type of fertility treatment, uh, meaning um, you know insemination cycles or in vitro cycles, but. I'm not. I don't think I know of any insurance company that covers surrogacy. Um, uh, um, so, so a lot of this is out of pocket. Um, it, uh, so this does cost quite a bit. So we did go through um, quite a bit in terms of emotional and uh, financial tolls um, to get through this process. Okay. All right. And so you, you found you found the right person. Uh-huh. And, and um, so we found the right person, and um, once we all um, signed the legal agreements and um, uh, um, did the psychological screening, um, the transfer happened, and then we had to wait nine, ten days for a pregnancy test. It's the longest nine, ten days <laughs> ever, um, and uh, the pregnancy test was very positive, which was good. 
What, what does that mean? Very positive. Is isn't is this, isn't it just a, a positive or a negative thing? Oh, that, that, that's a good question. Um, so you know, we measure what's called beta HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone, the hormone released by um, a pregnancy. Um, and you want a fairly, you want an, a, a good number to start with. So mm-hmm. very low numbers are not usually good starting numbers. Um, uh, so you want a, 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 an acceptable starting number, which usually indicates that you know things are going well. Um, so, so that's what I mean. So it's not just more than just positive or negative. There's a, um, you know, in addition to the qualitative positive and negative, mm-hmm. there's also quantitative, you know, actual value um, on there. Um, okay. And so, a, as a as a fertility doctor, did did you? Or maybe I don't know if this would be a complete breach of medical ethics or not. But did you do the implantation? No, no, no. Um, one of my colleagues did. Um, okay, and and what are you? I mean, what are you thinking about while this is going on? I mean, it's, yeah. it, did this give you some a little bit more empathy, perhaps, for some of the patients that you've dealt with? And you'd probably have dealt with many, many patients who've been through essentially the same kind of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's certainly interesting to see from both sides of the exam table and really understand what it's like to be in a patient's shoes. And, you know, the, the roller coaster ride of, okay, thinking this is a cycle that's going to work, this is a cycle that's going to be positive, and then not have it work. And to go through that essentially, essentially roller coaster um, numerous times uh, um, is, um, is a very difficult process. And um, a very stressful process uh, where support um, from family, friends, having a good support system in general is uh, very important. Um, so going through the process uh, as both a doctor and patient um, really does allow uh, uh, myself or did allow myself to see uh, it from both sides. Um, you know, as a physician, we're trained to... Um, see things very objectively, um, and I've been very good about that. And um, I, I have switched the hats numerous times throughout the process, um, uh, meaning that you know, during that entire process, my role was um, what's called the intended parent, uh, meaning the person who even essentially would have the baby. Um, I specifically kept my role to being the intended parent and not really to being a doctor. Um, now, being a doctor, certainly, you know, you have the knowledge, and having the knowledge can be good or bad. Sometimes you know a little too much, mm-hmm. which, you know, can yeah, cause anxiety of, because, you know, everything that could go wrong also. Um, uh, but I've been very good about being, separating fact from emotion, and uh, it's something just going through my education um, that I've learned to do very well. Um, and so uh, um, throughout the process, I was the intended parent only in my relationship with my surrogate. Um, as opposed to a medical professional? As opposed to a medical professional. Yeah. So it's very interesting that you, 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 know, you would ask that question because, you know, the transfer went well, her pregnancy tests were positive, we did the first couple ultrasounds, and she had a heart, the baby had a heartbeat. I mean, everything was going so well. And then she started having uh, uh, bleeding. Um, and, of course, you know, she called me. And, uh, um, you know, all of a sudden I found myself 
switch gears from just being, you know, an intended parent who knew nothing about medicine was be emotional and worried about the baby. Yeah. And I found she called, but I switched gears and, you know, and suddenly became, started giving doctor advice. And then I'm like, no, I think you got to go see your OBGYN doctor because um, someone else needs to give you advice, not me. Now, for, um, for some of your that, patients, I would imagine most of your patients are, are not doctors, such as right. yourself. So what do they do? I mean, you said it's an expensive process and you're, you're paying out of pocket. Are you, is the, the surrogate expected to see her own OB on her own insurance, or do you pay for the, the cost of that? Or since, it, she, yeah, since she had so, the implantation um, done with one of your colleagues, you know, is your office providing the, the pregnancy prenatal care? No, no. So I'm, a, I'm just a fertility doctor. So patients stay with me. Um, you know, when I help patients get pregnant, they only stay with me up until the, the second month. Um, but we don't do any true obstetrical oh, care. It's okay, okay. Just confirming the pregnancy. Um, but they have to go to an obstetrician to actually provide obstetrical care. So she went to her OBGYN. You know, part of the expensive process, a lot of it has to do with fees and medical insurance. So I have to buy her medical insurance and those types of things. Um, so that's where a lot of um, a lot of the expense racks up. Um, wow. Not so much paying the actual person to carry, um, which you know is she's doing something so selfless that that is not even anything I you know I would that would bother me. It's it's you know paying for all the other fees and the medical insurance. Mm-hmm. And everything sure. else. That's where the expense really boils up. Um, uh, um, so um, she saw her obstetrician. Um, throughout the entire pregnancy, and uh, um, and then delivery day rolled around. I mean, it's it's just how quick time goes by, and the next thing we knew was time to have a baby. And uh, so we showed up, and um, and uh, she delivered very quickly. Um, it was just a very uneventful process. Um, just what you hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's so it. The, so there, you, at the at the end of the story, you have a health, happy, healthy baby. What could be better than that? Yeah, yeah. So we we got a a, a happy, healthy baby, and he, he's very much a happy, healthy little boy now, um, who's just you know enjoys you know all things that kids enjoy. Um, so uh, we got very lucky. Do you have any kind of a relationship with the was it Kayla who who uh, carried the baby? Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so um, we exchange photos, uh, text messages all the time. Um, she even came and saw our son um, about when he was about a year and a half old. Um, so uh, um, he got to spend some time with her kids. Her kids are a little bit older, but uh, yeah, we we certainly keep in touch. And she has no genetic connection at all, though. She's just provided the womb. Yep, yep. Uh, my son has the genes of me and my husband. That's it. That's that's pretty amazing stuff. How how did your husband deal with this whole thing? Um, I mean, I, I can imagine to, from the guy's perspective, he, in some ways it must be a lot easier. You don't have to deal with all of the, the, the hormonal things that the pregnant wife would be dealing with. So you've got a, a perfectly normal 
wife at home. And, <laughs> you know. uh-huh. um, he, he handles things very well. Um, you know, the interesting thing, so I wrote two books. The, one, the book that you're talking to me about, uh, Miracle Baby, uh, Fertility's Doctors Fight for Motherhood. And then I wrote a second book, which is kind of like a handbook. It's called a, um, uh, a Fertility Manual, Reproductive Options for Your Family. And it, that, that book is, um, is a short um, book that's uh, essentially designed to equip patients with knowledge they need to walk into a fertility mm-hmm. clinic um, to ask the doctor the right questions right. and make them feel comfortable in uh, in their own care. And uh, 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 going back to your question, my husband read the first drafts of both books. And, um, you know, when he read the first draft of the fertility manual, um, he said, I wish someone had given this to me before we started the entire process. Um, and he's like, I'm lucky that I'm married to a fertility doctor, but I could understand how overwhelming it would be for someone who, you know, who was not in medicine at all or, you know, for, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. and certainly not doing fertility. Um, and so he did very well with the process. Um, but, yes, he a lot of it is such a foreign, abstract world for him, um, because this is not what he does for a living. Right. Um, and even for me, you know, this is the field of medicine that I practice, not just being a physician, but the field of medicine that I practice. Um, still, there is a huge component uh, or a huge side, uh, um, particularly with surrogacy, that, you know, I never see as the doctor. All I do is the retrieval and the transfer, but I never know about the psychological screening, the legal paperwork, all the other stuff that went into the whole process until I finally was a patient and actually did all of those things. And um, so, Dorette, we're we're completely out of time. I'm sorry, I've got to stop you there. Dorette Noorhassen is the author of Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood, and uh, another book, if you can look her up online and find the other book as well about fertility. Dorette, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, we're a pretty busy family. Our three kids are in lots of extracurricular activities, scouts, music, sports, drama, and we also do a lot of things together as a family. Lately, the kids have seemed more run down than usual. I'm feeling a little guilty because I suspect that it's because they've got so many things going on. How do you tell when your kids are doing too much? Sounds to me like your kid's lack of energy is the result of burnout, and I agree with you. The likely culprit is trying to cram too many activities into too little time. But don't beat yourself up too badly. Childhood burnout is incredibly common these days, and with pressure coming in from all sides, friends, family, the community, schools, and the kids themselves, it's hard to say who's responsible. Extracurricular activities are important, of course. They give kids a chance to interact with their peers somewhere other than school. They can teach kids important life lessons, such as teamwork, self-confidence, and self-sufficiency. Encourage them to develop skills and experience they'll need later in life, and help them become well-rounded adults. That's great, up to a point. 
And that point is when extracurriculars leave little or no time for children to just be children. Kids, like all of us, need time to do something other than work. Time to think and time to just hang out and do nothing. The fallout from nonstop activities goes well beyond exhaustion. Overbooking can lead to anxiety, depression, a nagging feeling of never quite being good enough, and a complete rejection of any and all activities. Perhaps worst of all, experts are finding that the more time kids spend doing structured activities, the less they're able to think creatively and imaginatively. In other words, too much structure can give lead to rigid thinking. Let's get back to your question. How do you know if your children are too busy? Whether they're involved in activities they picked, you picked, or a combination, here are some signs that your children could be in danger of burning out. Frequent headaches. Occasional minor headaches are normal and shouldn't cause alarm. But if they're stronger than normal, last a long time, or happen a lot, it's possible that the child isn't getting enough sleep or that he's feeling too much pressure to perform, either from you, his coaches, or his peers. Stomach problems. Kids have been using stomach aches as a way to get out of doing things since chores were invented. But if they're real, stomach aches could be a symptom of stress or anxiety. And even if they're not real, they could be your child's way of saying that she needs a break. Temper, temper. Don't chalk up irritability or short temper to just being a teen or having an off day. Overreacting and snapping at people for no reason is another subconscious way of saying, I need a break. A drop in grades. Most kids struggle with their grades at some point, but while school problems can be a sign that a child doesn't understand the material, it's also possible that she's so tired that she can't think straight. The answer to the overscheduling problem is simple. Stop it. Go over your kids' schedules and figure out which activities are most important to them, not to you. Then, together, Look for ways to free up some time. And be careful that you don't turn around and fill up those empty hours with new activities. Instead, unplug, unwind, and do nothing. Hey, if you've got a question or a comment or a concern for us here at Positive Parenting, please do send it over. You can do that through our website, mrdad.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. But don't go yet because there's a lot more of this one coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes, and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio, you're busy. Which is great, because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test, because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Thanks for sticking with us. Starting a family has dramatically changed in the last 30 years. 
Not only are there a variety of options for getting pregnant, but there is also an anxiety-inducing number of decisions facing newborn parents. Home birth or C-section, midwife or OBGYN, stroller or baby Bjorn. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a new mom who understands these and a lot of other anxieties and has written a comprehensive guide to a healthy, happy pregnancy. She cites the latest research with a little bit of been there, done that experience and covers everything that parents need to know to make the best decisions for themselves and their babies. Notice that I'm saying parents because one of her major tenets is that dads have to be included throughout the entire process. A perspective, I gotta say, I'm all for. She even talks about her own pregnancy challenges, which include a miscarriage and a non viable pregnancy before delivering her son. We're going to be talking with her about everything from the preparations you need to make in trimester zero to the fourth trimester challenges of managing newborn babies. I'm Armin Brat. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes I do the same things over and over, until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brandt, and my guest for this part of today's show is Leslie Schrock, who's the author of a new book called Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy, Navigating the Wild, Weird, and Wonderful Journey from Conception Through Birth and Beyond. Leslie, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Great to be here, Armin. Thanks so much for having me. And Bumpin', by the way, has no G on the end, and it's like... <laughs> It's like the, the famous nope, baby bunk. No, no G. Yeah, referring to the famous baby bunk that we hear so much about. If you happen to spend any time in checkout lines, you, you, you know, which I think is the only time I ever see the word. Nobody ever talks about it except for when it has to do with Meghan Markle or somebody else. It's true. It's true. It's also a pretty good hashtag on Instagram. It's uh, it's sure a lot of people are referring to their referring to their time in pregnancy, making it a little more fun. So yeah. I thought it was good. a kind of festive light way to to refer to the whole process and also the hard parts. Well, let, let's talk about the different part, because that's what that really intrigues me. I mean, we were talking about this just before that we went in the air that, you know, I, I spent some time in the, the pregnancy and childbirth and parenting space and, and you're in there and there, there are a lot of a lot of books. There's no question about it. I mean, and, and so both of us as as authors have tried to find a way of carving out something unique. And what's what's new? What's different about Bumpin' compared to books that other you know that, that people might have seen before? And I'm not going to mention any of them because I like yours better. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So you know, a lot of this was written uh, through my own lens uh, as a long-term health entrepreneur, and then you know, entering this space as someone who had never, you know, really uh, thought about pregnancy until age 36. 
So I was a working, you know, a working mom. I'm still a working mom. And really, when I started looking for resources, I didn't find anything that kind of acknowledged both the good and also the hard um, of being a working parent. I think, and it's both sides. It's it's mothers and fathers, um, you know, regardless of what kind of partnership you're in, um, whether you're the birth parent or not. Uh, I think it's uh, one of these times of life that's really transformative, and we don't often talk about uh, how much of a struggle it can be. So. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do with my book, and as I said before, you know, yours was was one of the ones I read towards the end of the process. And my husband is very grateful for uh, for your voice and for your advice uh, for him. But I don't think we, you know, generally do a good job in pregnancy books of both acknowledging the whole process, not just the health, not just the morning sickness. Um, but, you know, talking about conception and how hard that can be, talking about financial planning, because that will dictate, uh, according to many studies that have been done, you know, whether or not having a family is a net positive or net negative for you and your relationship. Uh, and then talking about the hard stuff, um, talking about miscarriage, talking about, uh, you know, what can happen when something goes wrong during testing or you come up against something very difficult, as I did. Um, which I, you know, talk about very candidly because I, uh, you know, did not have uh, anyone to talk to really about, you know, what happens when you when you have a, a pregnancy that's not viable, uh, and then you know you find out you have to actually terminate it. It's a very strange place to be. Um, so, oh yes. No, I was just saying, ooh, just as, yes, <laughs> you know, that's the, the yeah, that's gut how it punch felt. kind it felt of like, thing. Uh, a punch in the face. Um, yeah. It was the worst day of my entire life. The hardest thing I've ever been through. So, yeah. um, you know, but I think that until people start standing up and talking about their experiences uh, and being, you know, candid about how difficult it can be at times uh, and, you know, also things related to, you know, birth and breastfeeding. Um, basically, everything that could have gone wrong for, <laughs> for us uh, did end up going wrong. And even with all the great information I had, even though I was writing this book in real time while I was pregnant, I had access to, you know, over 20 different practitioners of all different shapes and sizes. In the end, uh, I had no control over the process. I did the best I could, but, you know, I still ended up with a C-section. Breastfeeding ended up not going so well for me because I was very anemic and had some supply issues. So, Really, you know, I think when, when you're talking about what's different, I think I'm trying to build a holistic picture of how pregnancy changes your life, yeah. not just managing your symptoms and, and dealing with the medical system. Um, and also, you know, those difficult parts uh, and acknowledging that, listen, like you're not in full control of it. And I think one of the, the real disservices we do to parents uh, is, is um, you know, perpetuating this message that there's one right way to do everything. There's one right way to parent. There's one right way to have a baby. And in the end, uh, you know, nature has sometimes a different plan for you. And then the most amazing thing that, that always is running through my mind, but it comes to the fore when I hear somebody like you talking about all the complications is that, and you're probably going to want to go and do it again, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, I sure am. I mean, it's uh, even with all of the even with all of the craziness. I mean, this is my son is the greatest gift of my life. It's an absolute joy every day to get to see the world through his eyes. Yeah. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. Well, let's start at the beginning, and and by by the beginning, I mean actually before the beginning, before the pregnancy. And you know, since since I've been in the field, it's been. I, 
it's hard to think about this, but more than 20 years since the first edition of my, my first book came out. And a lot has changed. And one of the big changes is technology. And you said, you, you know, you're talking about how you had access to 20 different healthcare providers. That doesn't even count the chat groups you could, you could get into on the internet or <laughs> the magazines, or th- there are just so many different ways to overwhelm yourself with information. How do you suggest that people who are planning a pregnancy and not all pregnancies are planned, of course, but just say even you know, it, at the beginning, how do you suggest that people filter out the garbage and find actually helpful, not shrill information? Yeah, I mean, I struggled with that myself. Uh, the first, you know, I had three different pregnancies. The first two, I was, you know, kind of a basket case. I was, I was anxious. I was doing all this self-tracking. I was trying out all these apps. And at the time, I wasn't actually writing the book um, and, you know, did not have the perspective I did now. But I think we live in a world where there is too much information and too many opinions and too many kind of self-styled experts who actually perpetuate a lot of pretty destructive uh, mythology around, you know, different aspects of this experience. And so, um, you know, and this idea that, you know, there's like one right way to do it. And as we know, as, as, you know, now parents, no, no two kids are the same, no two pregnancies are, are the same. So I think it's a matter of, you know, number one, really making sure that anything that you uh, look at, if there is research in that area, that you look for something that is, you know, scientifically or clinically validated. Um, there are obviously lots of areas of pregnancy and conception that are not for very good reason, because doing medical research um, on pregnant women and and fetuses is uh, not ethical. Um, However, we're really suffering as a result of it because now there is just so much that we don't know. Uh, But one thing that's also, you know, I think pretty different about uh, the perspective that I've taken is that, you know, again, I don't think there is is one right way to do this. Uh, There are lots of different practitioners that I interviewed for this, which meant I had lots of access to them personally as well, which was really a, a, a big blessing for me. Uh, but I think that you can blend the best of, you know, non-medicated uh, childbirth and, you know, pregnancy with obstetric care, um, and you can kind of make it what feels right to you. So, and I, I think that that's a, a big message that I would uh, also like to really communicate to people who are, who are thinking about going into this is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know your body, you know what is important to you and your partner and your values, and really it's a matter of finding solutions that feel right to the, to the two of you. Absolutely, yeah, that's, which is something that is, it also needs to be brought out more, I think, in, in many other resources, which is what we, you, know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before, the relationship and how much needs to be discussed by both yeah. people. Yeah. And, and instead of having everything geared towards one person, and I know that it's difficult for a lot of guys to, when they start going to the the OB visits, which I recommend and you recommend that the guys go along to as many of these things as they as they possibly can, uh, for them to, you know, they often feel shunted off to the side or ignored or not respected or whatever it is, and that that has to change. It's it's just it's not good for the pregnancy. It's not good for the mom. And it probably begins to create an environment where the dad feels separated from the baby even before there is a baby to be separated from. Yes. Yeah, and look, this is a huge, huge transition for any relationship. Um, You know, conception can be very stressful to a relationship. 
A pregnancy is certainly very stressful, but it all kind of pales in comparison to the to the day you bring uh, that baby home and you kind of look at each other and think like, now what? Um, and no amount of help in the world can really replace uh, you know, having a good good relationship and good conversation. So yeah. one of yeah. the things that I'm a big advocate for... Leslie, um, Leslie, let, let, me, is, let me stop you there for just a sec because we got to take a quick break. I'm talking with Leslie Schrock, who's the author of Bumpin', The Modern Kind of Pregnancy, Navigating the Wild, Weird, and Wonderful Journey from Conception Through Birth and Beyond. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Going to keep talking to Leslie. Did you know... 26 million Americans have kidney disease, and most don't know it. Did you know understanding your risk of kidney disease may be the first step in treating it? Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Leslie Schrock, who's the author of Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. And we were just talking about uh, the importance of communication. And I I had to cut you off. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, one of the things, you know, I I interviewed a number of uh, different types of therapists and coaches. And one of the women that I spoke to is actually a family relationship coach. And she suggested, and something I implemented personally, uh, talking to your partner before the baby arrives, talking about your intentions as a parent, talking about what kind of parent you would like to be, and then also talking about how you want to show up for each other and the ways that you want to try to maintain your relationship once that baby arrives, and really starting to put those practices into place before birth, because if you practice and you get good at it, uh, you know, chances are it'll be a little easier once you have uh, a big disruptive presence around. And so, you know, the the book is is split up into, you know, things that I would say are you know clinically validated, inter- interview based, you know, guidance, the guidebook part of it. And then I do have think of them as field notes. I do have my little anecdotal notes in there about you know what my husband and I chose to do during during our journey. But really, I found those those talks that we had uh, before our son came along to just kind of level set about, you know, what both of us wanted to do. He was in charge of diapers. I was in charge of, you know, feeding the little guy for, for as long as I could. Um, and we really c- continued to talk about that and, and really our values as we wanted to, uh, you know, impart them to, to our son and, and the way that we wanted to live. Yeah, there's a lot of things that again have changed since since I got started in this field. I think that there was a lot of talk about hair dye and changing litter boxes and all sorts of things that that are are less con- people are less concerned with now. I think generally speaking, what are some things some some myths that you bumped up against uh, that you might have been surprised at? Well, I'll tell you one thing actually that I'm that concerns me, and it's still not really uh, being talked about in the media the way it should be, but that is CBD use. So many, many pregnant women right now are using CBD, which is now found in sodas, it's found in tinctures and oils, um, all kinds of candy. Uh, and it's just kind of out there because it's kind of a gray legal area compared to THC, which it's very closely related to. But uh, the myth that CBD is safe for pregnancy 
the FDA actually just chimed in and has regulation, well, no regulation, but guidance on this as of October. And, you know, I've seen so many pregnant women use this for aches and pains, for all kinds of stuff. There's no question CBD has amazing medicinal properties, but if you're considering using it during pregnancy, it's not a good idea. Now, yeah. this also goes for guys. We know that THC changes sperm. Yeah. Uh, we know it. it. That's that's not a question. It's it's been answered. Oh, it has. And been. really, during the con- yeah, during during the conception process, um, you know, any marijuana use is highly discouraged for men as well. So, well, just yeah, just to, just so you know, study in the book actually that if you want to read about it, it's uh, footnoted. Well, there was. I was just going to mention a, a different study, which was talking about how the changes in sperm can be multi generational. They're they're finding out how, yeah. having to do with epigenetics is that boys who are conceived by a father who's been smoking dope before the the conception, those boys may have uh, a higher percentage of abnormal sperm. So it's it's not something to yeah. play with. Yeah, and you know no. a, along those along those lines, I'm just curious about. Because I remember in, in, in the early days when my, my wife was pregnant with our, our first one, there was very much a sense in the childbirth prep classes that having an epidural or a C-section was a kind of failure in a way. And that, that I, I think that that's changed. I think that's not being taught in the, you know, the, these it, primal emphasis on natural childbirth is not the focus anymore, that there's some acknowledgement that 80% of women have epidurals and that C-sections are just a thing. But what, what do you think about that? Because I, I, I think that still a lot of women, whether it's being taught in the classes or not, still see natural childbirth as really the only way and that they've failed if they don't. I definitely take issue with this. Um, and I, I, I did so before I went through my own childbirth experience, which I can talk about a little bit. But I really take issue with the, the whole idea that as at childbirth is natural or unnatural. Is a C-section unnatural? I think that anytime a baby comes out of your body, uh, you've given birth naturally. There's no artificial uterus involved here. So uh, I think we really have to stay away from that language uh, because it gets quite judgmental. Uh, and I think it is still a huge issue for women. I've had anecdotally, a number of people asked me if I was very disappointed that I ended up with a C-section. And I said, actually, no, because if I hadn't had a C-section, we both would have died. So I'm pretty happy, actually, (laughs) about the C-section, if you want want my honest opinion. Uh, And I kind of refuse to see it as a, uh, you know, a failure, uh, as, you know, failing my transition into parenting, which is such a common uh, common thing, it causes postpartum depression. You know, I was in labor for, I, I was, uh, you know, my bag broke. And from that time to the time that we finally pulled him out, it was 65 hours. Ooh, I was in ooh. active labor with uh, a nitrous mask and no epidural for a long time. Um, I felt him get stuck. And I knew that based on, you know, I wasn't uh, dilating enough. And I knew that an epidural was probably a good incremental step to try to avoid a C-section. And when I was still only six centimeters dilated, uh, you know, 12 hours later, uh, I knew that, you know, that's that's what we had to do uh, eventually because he had, you know, his his head was too big and he was stuck. So, um, yeah, I think we have to get away from this language that natural is the only way. Also, the whole notion of natural childbirth, uh, the founder is, is a guy who thought labor pain's not even real. So, you know, when I look at some of the people who who have these, um, 
who are out here kind of perpetuating this this idea, I think it's a really dangerous thing, and I think it it causes a lot of mental uh, mental issues that relate to uh, to therapy later. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So, what is something? In over the process of researching the book, now that for your your second baby, you're going to do differently. Oh wow! I mean, I think that I'm going to continue to, you know, that's a great question. I think that I would like to do more of my prenatal care with a midwife. Um, I probably have, I almost certainly have to get a C-section uh, again because I have a what's known as an inadequate pelvis. Uh, we really need to change some of this uh, terminology. <laughs> the language is so horrible. <laughs> yes. And, in, and in you're a, a bad I, person, too. Oh, of course I, mean, I am. Yes, I'm a bad. I'm a failure as a parent. I'm a bad person <laughs> with an inadequate pelvis, a geriatric pregnancy, all of these terrible words. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I actually, by the time the third pregnancy rolled around, I had it right. Um, I would maybe start my pelvic floor therapy a little bit sooner this time. Uh, I think that that's something that, you know, we don't do a good job of talking about, certainly in this country. But in France, pelvic floor rehabilitation after birth uh, is just a standard of care. Women get, you know, 10 or so visits um, to a pelvic floor therapist. But I would actually like to do more targeted, um, you know, work and, and really continue to do that uh, with this with the second pregnancy uh, if I can. Insurance pays for it. So it's, you know, it's a copay. And I'd like to get a little more serious about that sooner. But otherwise, I feel actually pretty good about the way that things went and the kind of care I, I had um, and the kind of care that I sought out. But again, you know, I had the benefit of kind of getting to try everything yeah. uh, in, in service of the book. I really tried to be kind of a guinea pig for everything so that I could write about it both, you know, anecdotally and then really um, – you know, critically, because uh, I tried not to insert my opinion into the science sections because, right. you know, there are a lot of studies that have been done. But I do think for the framing of certain things and, and presenting different care options, it was really important for me to to actually kind of, you know, put my money where my mouth was and, and give it all a shot. We've been talking with Leslie Schrock, who's the author of Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy, Navigating the Wild, Weird, and Wonderful Journey from Conception Through Birth and Beyond. It's really a, a refreshing book that covers a lot of great territory, and so you'll learn a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Armin. Before we go, a special thanks to the folks at Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the armed forces, veterans, and their families for over 80 years. Federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.